With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Dan Bongino. I owe you. Who owes who? You owe me. I owe you. There's no money. The Dan Bongino Show. Anything run by liberals will be run into the ground, burned, stepped on, gasoline poured on it, and burned again. Get ready to hear the truth about America. They're arguing about things and debating how quickly they can deconstruct the greatest country in the history of mankind and all of the ideas and norms that have gotten us here. On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Renegade Republican with Dan Bongino. Sorry for the short delay for the Facebook Live uh, crowd, but on the podcast, we have to record it with producer Joe. So always good to see producer Joe. How are you today? Hey, man, I'm doing okay. Yeah, we had a little count down going on yeah there. well a lot to uh, discuss today so let me get right into it i don't want to waste any of your time as always I have to adjust myself in the chair which is always uncomfortable uh, uh, time for a new chair here yeah seriously uh, i'm going to get to barcelona um, i promise you obviously the attack yesterday devastating another hostile vehicle attack it's becoming a very common tactic by these savage terrorists i'm going to get to that some things some takeaways my former experience in my prior life in law enforcement and uh some things i i you know, I'm seeing discussed that I think are really important and you need to, uh, you know, you need to hammer home. But before I get to that, I want to get to a really important story here that matters a lot to me. I um, I was at an event last night in in uh, down in Boca in South Florida. It was a uh, event for the Republican Club of uh, Palm Beach County. Mm-hmm. And I haven't Folks, I'll be honest with you, I haven't been out of my cocoon in a very long time. You know, the last political race has me kind of shunning formal politics, not mm. activism and conservatism, but formal politics for a number of reasons I, you know, I don't want to waste your time with on the show. But uh, and it's not, you know, it's not it, it's just for personal reasons. I'll leave it at that. But uh, it's time to come out of the cocoon. So I went and spoke at an event and I introduced James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. And, All right. You know. But I haven't been out at a political event in a while, and I was really kind of, a, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of overwhelmed with the response. I mean, it was, I, I, I can't thank everyone enough. I, My wife and I didn't even get in the door before people, <laughs> so it was cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. It, um, it made me feel great. But a woman approached me in the event who I had met at a prior speech I'd given a year, about a year and a half ago, and uh, she thanked me, and I remembered her well, and I said, I was curious. I'm like, well, well what are you thanking me for? And she said, you know, when we spoke, it was in the midst of the presidential campaign and you were not a a Trump guy. You were a Cruz guy, which I was. That's not a mystery to anybody who listens to the show, nor producer Joe there. Um, I had endorsed Cruz. And she said, I remember the conversation we had. And she said, you seemed very sincere in your beliefs that uh, Cruz was a good candidate. And that's why you backed him up. And she said, but I want to thank you for your support for Donald Trump. And, you know, I got to thinking and we got into a conversation and I said, you know, I need to discuss this with my audience today because I want you to understand that. For as much as I respect and back up uh, a lot of what the president's doing right now, folks, this fight is no longer about Trump. I read today one of the most important pieces. If you decide to read it, you will ever read. I know I say that a lot because I I like reading pieces and I I respect a lot of the authors out there who put out conservative material. But I read a piece this morning on Front Page Mag by Daniel Greenfield. 
By the way, sent to me by a uh, listener. I got a ton of email yesterday. Thank you to everyone. I'm, I read all of them, I promise you. Um, and thanks for the compliments to Producer Joe. Yeah, thank you. But there is a piece in Front Page Mag by Greenfield I will put up in the show notes at Bongino.com. I also tweeted it out this morning. That is just in uh, uh, mind-blowing. He makes a comparison I had not considered before with the Democrats today and their reluctance to accept the outcome of the presidential election with post-World War I Germany. Now, listen, I am usually very, very reluctant to go uh, full Godwin. And for those of you who don't know what that means, Godwin means the first person to mention the Nazis always loses an argument. I, I rarely, if ever, do that. And I don't appreciate when people do that. And there's a very simple reason. There are historical blemishes on human society that have no parallel. And the Holocaust is one of them. Mm-hmm. There's no parallel. No. And I, that's not what Greenfield is doing in the piece. What he's doing is he's discussing post-World War I Germany and what led up to the rise of fascism and what's going on right now in the Democrat Party. And I, again, although I'm reluctant to do it, the, his, his piece is astounding. Now, and I've teased it enough. Let me give. Let me uh, read you a paragraph from the piece. And what he's trying to get at here, so I can sum this up, so when I'm reading, you'll understand it, is how in post-World War I Germany, World War I Germany, that every excuse in the book was made as to why the Germans lost the war. And when excuses are made, victims are made, and victims are looking for an enemy. And when victims are looking for an enemy, they want to punish those they see who caused their problems. Make sense, Joe? Yeah, I see where you're going already, yeah. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. So here's a quote from Daniel Greenfield's piece, Front Page Mag. He said, the myths of the undefeated Germany and the undefeated Democrats, in other words, how the Democrats still aren't convinced they lost the election like the Germans post-World War I were not convinced they lost the war. Um, the myths of the undefeated Germany and the undefeated Democrats were rooted in a false conviction of superiority. A populace glutted on an endless diet of propaganda found it inconceivable that they had lost. As a dog returns to its vomit, the Democrats began licking the propaganda out of their meteor sewer, out of the media sewer twice as hard. They ate up the lies that they hadn't lost, the promises that they would soon reclaim what was rightfully theirs, and that everyone who had conspired against them would soon be punished. Holy crikeys. Man, that is a powerful power graph. I mean, the piece, I could read you the whole piece, but you can do that yourself. It This is just one of the better paragraphs from it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm bringing this up now, this piece about victimology in the New Democrats class and victimology post-World War One in Greenfield's piece. Because when the woman thanked me last night, and I appreciate it, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be a, a smart ass about it. I don't think she understands. I, I'm not a, a, a Trumper in any sense. I'm not just like I wasn't a cruiser or anything else. I'm a constitutional liberty lover. And I find human beings who I think can best advocate for that cause. And I will relentlessly fight like many of you, many of you against people who are trying to deconstruct liberty in the constitutional republic. And that relentless fight involves first, number one, involves you recognizing what the fight is. And the reason I go on Fox News and cable news and do my podcast and fill in for Mark and I back up Trump when he needs it is because it's not about Trump. Just like I'm not about Trump. 
I'm about the maintenance of the Constitutional Republic. And what people don't understand right now is this isn't about Trump anymore, Joe. It is about elections. Amen. This is about the viability of human choice, the maintenance of a democracy, of a constitutional republic. Do you understand that Democrats, this piece nails it, how they are absolutely convinced they won that election. And when you're convinced you've won an election, just like the Germans convinced people after World War I that they were stabbed in the back and that they should have won that war. Do you understand you will accept almost any outcome to overturn the results of that election because you feel like you've been done wrong? Folks, I'm asking you the never Trump crowd out there. I get it. I get it. He is a flawed man. Gosh, I'm a flawed human being, too. We all are. And I have absolutely no problem with us taking a stand against the administration when they violate conservative principles. We do it on the show. But do you understand this is not about Trump's conservatism, Trump's policies or anything else? This is a war. And I'm, I'm, I'm not using that term lightly or hyperbolically. Mm-hmm. I'm using it because it's the truth, man. This is a war against democracy, against human choice. The Democrats felt, as Greenfield points out in the piece, and he's absolutely right, that, Joe, they were on the right side of history, air quotes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That they had, they had, they had seen this evolving identity politics agenda work for them. They convinced black voters and gay voters and Muslim voters and Asian voters that they were on the right side of history. That the government should be all powerful. That they were going to protect their rights. They were on the right side of history. And when it all collapsed, they couldn't accept it. It wasn't just that conservatism was wrong. It that it was that it was evil. This is all based in the critical theory notion that the white patriarchy, don't doubt me, that's been taught to kids in academia, that Hollywood accepts whether they know it or not, that the white patriarchal male power structure in the United States has to be deconstructed and conservatism is emblematic of that. It doesn't matter that, you know, we're the ones who have a more diverse party, I think, at this point, at least when it comes to electing people, than the Democrats do. None of that matters to them. We are at war with these people. You have to understand what the war is. And this is, listen, this isn't a violent war like the left. And you say, oh, what about the right? That the guy in Charlottesville, you know, he's not on the right. He's a savage animal. That's like the guy's not on the right, okay? We right. don't embrace uh, savages and racists. But the left does embrace Black Lives Matter and these other anarchist groups. There's a difference. Those are your guys, okay? The Charlottesville savage is not our guy. We have nothing to do with this animal. You guys embrace BLM. Black Lives Matter, despite their violent rhetoric. So I, when I say war, I want to be very clear. This is an ideological war. I'm, I'm, I, you know, listen, I'm a Christian first, and that, that matters to me. So I don't want anyone to misconstrue my words. But don't mistake what the ideological war is. This is not about Trump. This is what I just don't get about the never Trump crowd. And I res- listen, I have a lot of respect for a lot of the people over there. I'm not, this is not a blanket attack. I'm friends with many of them, even still. I'm not one of these guys that because we disagree on an approach, I can never talk to you again. That's liberal stuff. I don't do that. But I, I have to say to you, I think you are really, really off on this. You don't understand the fight. It is not about Trump. They are committed to overturning the results of this election. And every single day would be a new fight. Every day, Joe. It'll be Trump Russia. It'll be the electoral college is illegitimate. It'll be intimidating electors. Whatever it may, it'll be Trump's a racist. It'll be Trump's a misogynist. It doesn't matter. 
every single day for the next three years plus of the Trump administration is going to be an effort to get him to resign. Now, because I never say anything on my show that I'm not going to back up. Mm-hmm. I have stories today, three stories that show you at the both group level, meaning private organized far left groups at the local level of governance and at the state level of governance, that the left is in a full-fledged ideological war to overturn the, overturn the results of this election. Story number one, Wall Street Journal piece today by Kim Strassel, which I'll put in the show notes, which I, I, I was horrified reading it. But I'm horrified every day now, so horrified doesn't even mean anything. You know, someone told me once, you know, yeah. if you were happy all the time, you wouldn't know what happiness was. Well, when you're horrified all the time, horrified loses its meaning. But I woke up this morning and it was an extra level of horrification. Joe, have you ever heard of Samantha Dravis? Uh, I haven't, no. No, nobody else has either. So I, it's a trick question. Okay. Samantha Dravis, D-R-A-V-I. You're not supposed to. That's the I was kind of messing with you. Samantha Dravis, Kim Strassel writes about her piece today, is an EPA lawyer. She did not require Senate confirmation. She's not in the upper echelons of EPA leadership. Samantha Dravis is an EPA lawyer under full-fledged attack right now by far-left groups in conjunction with the New York Times. Hmm. You may say, who the hell is Samantha Dravis and why does that matter? Folks, because the left cannot accept the outcome of the election, they are accepting all legitimate and illegitimate means to overturn it. What are they doing? This woman's a lawyer who gets to review EPA regulations for duplicity. In other words, Joe, she's a a bureaucrat. I don't mean that as a pejorative. She's a bureaucrat in EPA who looks at EPA rules and says, well, this rule's duplicative. We can scrap that, scrap this. Okay. The left now understands that they're not going to do anything to stop Trump besides create an endless stream of propaganda and obstruction, lawsuits and everything else. So they've made the process punishment to put FOIAs together, to get this woman's emails, to basically make her unhirable once she leaves the Trump administration. So what did they do? The National uh, the National Resources Defense Council, which is a far left group, has instituted Trump watch, Joe, quote, Trump watch. And on Trump watch, they're exposing all of these people, these bureaucrats that work for Trump's administration, and they're soliciting input from people to 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 give up secrets on them and to come in there and expose them for who they are. These evil bureaucrats. Yeah. The New York Times, Joe, had a, you think I'm making this up? No. Here's the headline to the story. The New York Times about Samantha Dravis, who Joe Armacost has never heard of. And either did Dan Bongino before this morning. Here's the headline of a New York Times piece. The deep industry ties of Trump's deregulation team. It was an attack on Dravis for working with the Republican Governors Association. Oh, my God. Before she got appointed by a Republican. <gasps> Jeez. What? <laughs> what? What? She worked for Republican governors and got hired in a Republican minute. Oh, my. Oh, my. The, what? What are we going to do about that? I mean, seriously, is this gonna is this gonna require a, a waterboarding session? Are we serious? That that's the keep in mind, as Strassel points out, the New York Times makes no assertions of illegality or corruption at all. They just are object to the fact that the woman happens to have worked for Republicans before and is now working for the Trump administration. So they decided they're going to do Trump watch. Ironically, as Strassel accurately and terrifically points out in the piece, and believe me, she is no Trumper by any stretch. Mm -hmm. 
Strassel understands the war going on right now. We can hold Trump accountable. We can celebrate Trump when he does good things. But if you don't understand the war like she does, you are lost. She points out in the New York Times piece, what's interesting is the very same New York Times and media left celebrated when Barack Obama brought on a bunch of people who had worked with far left groups like the Sierra Club and other things to work in the administration before. So it's okay to have experience as long as it's with far left wingnut groups. Then you can come into government. But God forbid you've worked for a Republican in the past and you have any familiarity with the oil and gas industry. You are be you are to be one forbidden from ever serving in government without going under a harsh personal attack, Joseph. And then secondly, you're to be made unemployable when you lead the government, because remember what I said yesterday, the left has transitioned now from winning to punishing. They are not content with winning. They won on the gay marriage issue in the courts. Now they have to punish. They have to punish Christian bakers. They had to punish the Kentucky court clerk. They have transitioned to punishing now. And now that they lost the election, Joe, and they didn't win, their totalitarian streak, their tyrannical streak, their desire to punish, their desire to hurt, their desire to maim people's careers has now grown geometrically. Their rage is uncontrollable. They are going to ruin people now. Anybody who touches the Trump administration will be ruined forever. Folks, this is really, really dangerous stuff. It is not about Trump anymore. It's not about Trump. It is about an ideological war. Get that through your heads, please. Story number two. The Virginia Secretary of Homeland Security, a guy named Brian Moran, in a story at Breitbart, which I'll put in the show notes today. Just stunning, by the way. Stunning story. He acknowledges in the piece uh, about the Charlottesville uh, riot that went on down there mm-hmm. that the the uh, the group that showed up, the, the neo-Nazis that showed up, that some of them had a permit to protest, and the permit was canceled. Now, folks, again, as I addressed to you yesterday, it is not sanctioning the ideas and the speech of anyone to defend their ability to say it. If you believe that, you're on the wrong podcast. See you later. Bye-bye. See not you. interested. Bye. You don't understand the Constitution, the First Amendment. I, I'm not interested. Joe's not interested. We have no time for you. Go do some civics homework, then come back to us, okay? What were you going to say, Joe? Uh, I was going to say, see ya. Yeah, goodbye. Uh, see you see next week. I mean, I'm not interested at all. Now, these people had a permit to protest. So this Virginia Homeland Security Secretary acknowledged in an interview with a, a radio host with last name Katz, and I'll put the story up at the show notes from Breitbart, that the permit was canceled almost immediately and an unlawful assembly was declared. Hmm. The crowd... However despicable some of these Nazi sympathizers and Klan folks may have been mm-hmm. at that, at that, uh, at that, I mean, were, I don't want to say may have, I don't want to, you get what I'm going with that. I mean, I just don't want to spin it any way differently for the liberals because they get confused easily in their efforts to paint everybody as a racist, right? <laughs> but they had the right to protest, ladies and gentlemen. And what wound up happening and what this guy acknowledged yesterday, this public security official, was that an unlawful assembly was declared was declared they were dispersed but the antifa crowd was not so the antifa crowd got to organize they're basically an attack on on these other folks these these uh these other folks who were protesting there with the permit who were declared unlawful and nothing and and the police stood down 
Ladies and gentlemen, there are some very credible allegations out there, and they are allegations, to be fair, to the Democrat governor of Virginia, but I'm going to put them out there because they're, they're being covered widely by a lot of mainstream outlets. There are some very credible allegations out there that the Virginia governor and the Charlottesville mayor gave some form of a de facto stand-down order. In other words, the cops almost let the... And I'm not talking about the rank-and-file cops, please. You know, right. I, you know I love you. Um, it's not your fault at all. You have to deal with really crap political leadership. Please don't misunderstand my words. The allegations are that they let this Antifa crowd, this anti-First Amendment, they call themselves anti-fascist, but this anti-First Amendment crowd, that they let these Antifa crowds attack these guys. However abhorrent their views may have been, are we, again, it's not about Trump anymore. It is about the Democrats doing anything, including the de facto sanctioning of violence against an opposing view, How any, however abhorrent that view is, Joe. Mm-hmm. The sanctioning of violence against them. Ladies and gentlemen, this is third world republic stuff. Third world. How is it not? How is this not third world republic stuff? Third story. So I had a lot to cover today. There's a bill. Joe, I, I this is one of those stories. <laughs> I hear you. I, I shouldn't laugh. It's not even funny, but this is one of those stories you read and you seriously have to double check. I did see it at Breitbart. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not, it's not a knock on Breitbart at all. Joe Pollock wrote it. He always writes good stuff. But I had to double check it to make sure it wasn't like Fight Bart. You know, like I didn't read it wrong and I didn't steal because I'm dead serious. I'm not kidding because I read it and I thought this can't possibly be true. So, of course, I double checked it. I'm like, Paul, is this domain right? It's right. It's a real story. California legislator, Joe, try to hold in your laughter on this one by the Uh, name uh, of uh, Senator Scott Wiener. I know this one. Go ahead. Oh, you saw it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Senate Bill 219. This is a doozy. Wow. Uh, let me tell you what the fine is for the behavior, and I'll tell you what the behavior is second because you're going to be astonished. The fine for this behavior of repeat offenders oh. is a $1,000 fine and a jail term for up to a year. You're like, well, what is that? Stealing cookies? What is that? Smacking around someone's dog? Mm-hmm. What, what's the fine? You're going to spend a year in jail? No, that fine is for, and I'm quoting, willfully and repeatedly refusing to use a transgender resident's preferred name or pronouns in a public health, retirement, or housing institution. What? So if you don't call someone, I don't, what is it? I don't, what are they Z? Was Z or, or they, or if you don't call someone Z, folks, this is real. I'm not making this up. Z or they, this guy wants you thrown in jail. This is real. Look this up. Senate Bill 219, Scott yep. Wiener. I'll put the article in the show notes at Bongino.com. Yes, I'm not making this up. <laughs> Folks, again, the left does not want to win. They want to punish now. Well, they want to win and punish, but they can't win. The election's over. Their desire now is to punish. They are obsessed with the idea that they are a victim of a stolen election despite no evidence that happened. They are here now to punish. You don't want to use a transgender pronoun when talking to a man or a woman. You want to call the, you want to choose one, he or she, and you don't use they or Z or I don't even know if Z's real. I, I thought I read that somewhere. Oh. This guy wants to throw you in jail. Again, tell me again how liberals are the party of the little guy. How liberals are the party of freedom and and robust growth and they're taking care of people and they're defending rights. Defending the rights of who? 
defending the rights of their preferred political advocates. Everyone else goes to jail. That sounds a little bit like jackbooted tyranny to me, folks. Mm-hmm. Not so sure where you stand on it, but I'm pretty sure you'd agree with me. I'll leave it with this because i got a couple other stories to get to. It is no longer about Trump. It is about control of elections and democratic choice. They, the left wants this election thrown out. The left believes they are on the right side of history. The left believes through critical theory that conservatives are not to be taken seriously and they are evil. They're not wrong. They're wrong and evil, but evil takes priority. You are to be suppressed. You are to be shut down. You are to be shut up at all costs, and you now are to be punished. They have made the transition from winning to punishing. Don't forget it. Take it to the bank, folks. This is going to get worse. And to respond to the lady last night, thank you for the gratitude. But that's why I defend this president. Because, folks, I say to you with, with grave concern, I mean this. If they take this guy down for illegitimate reasons, which are trying now, Trump, Russia, fairy tales, nonsense about stolen elections. If they take this guy down, I, I don't know how we get out of this. Yeah. I don't know how we get out of it, folks. And I want to say again, shame, shame, shame on all of the establishment Republicans. And I'm talking about elected folks right now. Shame on the establishment Republicans who take every opportunity to kneecap this guy in the White House. I get it. I understand he's extremely fallible. He's made a lot of mistakes. I get it. But you do not understand what's going on right now. You are contributing to the downfall of our republic. All right, that was a heavy topic. Please, please, too, I'm begging you, read this piece by Greenfield. It'll be at Bongino.com under show notes. Give it a look. You will not regret it. It is probably one of the finer pieces you've read so far this year. All right, today's show brought to you by our buddies at My Patriot Supply. You know, folks, with everything going on, we're living in really difficult times. It makes absolutely zero sense to not have an emergency supply of food. You ensure everything in your life that matters, everything. You ensure your health, you ensure your car, you ensure your home. People have eyeglass coverage, dental insurance. Why would you not have an emergency supply of food? I, I'm, I'm begging you, please give this a look. Whether you buy or not, just go to the website and check it out. Go to preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will sell you a one-month supply of emergency food for just 99 bucks. It's a small price to pay. I say to Joe all the time, right? Better to have it, not need it, than need it, not, not have, have it. it. We have all, we're have we living in difficult, difficult times. This stuff is good for 25 years. It only costs $99. It's a one-month supply, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You only need water to prepare it. I'm asking you, please help support our sponsors. They keep the show free. They keep the content free. I've been with My Patriot Supply for a long time. Go to preparewithdan.com. Thanks to everybody uh, who's picked up, by the way, the emergency supply of food and emails me about it. I appreciate it. I'll go to preparewithdan.com. Pick up your box today. Okay. Um, on Barcelona yesterday... Here's a couple of quick takeaways from this, because you're going to see a lot of news coverage today, and I try to avoid following the herd with coverage because you're going to hear it all day. And I most of the female feedback I get on my show is that, listen, thanks for bringing up stories I hadn't heard elsewhere. But there are some important takeaways from this. First is a quick one. You know, we just got done talking about preparedness. It's kind of an unintentional segue. But folks, if you have the ability to go get a CCW, a concealed carry weapons permit, you need to do it. Um it's up to you again. I'm, I'm not. I'm an obviously a, a, a Second Amendment advocate. I don't think that's a mystery to anybody who listens to the show. Um, you know, I know some people 
uh, friends and family members who are, uh, they say, oh, I'm just uncomfortable carrying. I don't feel like I'm ready. That's fine. Um, I uh, That's fine. But if you feel comfortable uh, and, and you feel like you're ready to go through some training and learn how to operate a firearm, I think it's nuts not to get a CCW now. The only reason I bring this up is you are going to see now the next evolution of these hostile vehicle attacks, which is a fancy way of saying people terrorist savages mowing people down with cars like we saw in Barcelona yesterday. Mm -hmm. Why are you going to see more of this? You're going to see more of it because it requires no logistics planning and it leaves no investigative footprints behind. Folks, this is critical. I brought this up on Fox and Friends this morning. The reason they're transitioning to these style of attacks, where, by the way, Joe, after they run people down, they get out of the car with axes. You're not going to be able to fight a guy with an axe. You're Mm -hmm. not. I don't care how much Brazilian jiu-jitsu or mixed martial arts training you have. I love training that stuff. It's my passion. After politics, it's number uh, and my uh, God, family, politics, jujitsu, maybe, maybe, maybe three and four switch around. But it's not going to help you against a maniac with an axe. It's not. They're going to. You're going to die or get severely hurt. The only thing that's going to stop a maniac with an axe is a guy with a gun. Now, this is important. The difference between the nine eleven attacks and I, I, you know, I've, I've worked rather large counter terror cases in the past. And the 9-11 attack, depending on what analysis of it you read, cost between 500000 and a $1 million. But what was critical is it forced them to leave their insulated communities. A lot of these is Islamists. I'm not talking about, obviously, all Muslims. I don't want to hear it from the left. That's not what we're discussing. We're talking about Islamic radicals. They tend to live in isolated enclaves and kind of uh, cocoons, Joe. Mm-hmm. In order for them to execute the 9-11 attack, they had to leave that cocoon. They had to go get flight training. They had to go get money transfers. They had to go rent vehicles. They had to leave the cocoon. And every time they leave the cocoon, it would leave behind an investigative footprint or a clue. There were people who thought there was something suspicious about the flight training. Remember these reports, the 9-11 commission that some flight instructors thought it was interesting that they weren't concerned with landing, just flying. Uh, Yeah, kind of strange, right? You don't want to. I mean, I I heard one time a guy say, you know, a pilot said to me, anybody can learn how to fly a plane. It's the landing that matters, right? You don't want to learn how to land. That's a problem. The reason these attacks are preferred now by these savages is because it doesn't require them to leave the cocoon. Most of them already know how to operate a vehicle. Getting a vehicle is easy. It's not difficult. This doesn't require them to leave behind investigative footprints by interacting with other people who would detect something wrong. You get what I'm saying, Joe? Yeah, yeah. You are going to see more of this. This is not meant in any way to induce any sense of paranoia. It's not hyperbolic. Uh, We live in the safest country in the world. Uh, I mean, uh, the United States is thankfully, even now, the chances of you being involved in a terror attack are minuscule at best, but they're not zero. And as I said to you before about the food prep, uh, item, which I absolutely meant, it makes no sense for you not to be prepared if you're willing to do so. I carry, I encourage all, most of my cop friends carry everywhere now off duty. Don't be the victim. You know, Dave Grossman has a book, uh, it's called On Killing. I've mentioned it before in the show. It's not a book about serial killers or anything, but he was a, he was a soldier and he did an analysis of what the evolution of killing in combat over the years. And one of the statements, which has been said by others as well, is, you know, the, the, the sheep, the sheepdog, and the wolf, how we have sheep in society. Those sheep are victimized by the wolves, the p- terrorist parasites. And then you have sheepdogs who protect the sheep. I'm just asking you, don't be a sheep. Some maniac runs down a crowd of people and starts coming at you with a axe. You pull out that Kimber or Glock 45 and you do double tap to the head. 
two to the two to the head, one to the chest, or two to the chest and one to the head. And I promise you, it's going to be a really hard day for this guy. It is the only way. We live in different times, folks. They're difficult times. I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but thank God we're Americans alive right now. But it's time to wake up to that fact. We have to defend ourselves. You cannot, you cannot expect the police to save you. Thank God for our cops. Yeah. Thank God every day. But they are not there as your personal security force. It is up to you. Folks, one more thing on this. We have to start becoming arsonists, not firemen. We can't put out the fires afterwards anymore. We have to start developing sources in these communities. Because now that they've insulated themselves in these cocoons, Joe, and within those cocoons, now that they've not, they're not leaving because they don't have to learn to drive anywhere. Now it's critical that we develop sources in those communities to break up those plots in advance because you're not going to have the flight instructor anymore calling the FBI saying, hey, something unusual is going on here. I got these students who don't want to learn how to land. Mm -hmm. If we don't have sources in these communities, we are never going to stop this attack. And that's where the PC stuff has to stop. We need to develop sources in shaking trees. Folks, our fight in New York City for decades with the, with the, with the Italian mob, with the Russian mob, both of these organized crime groups were broken up. I mean, not completely. There's obviously elements that still exist, but were broken up by sources. Sammy the Bull. I mean, anyone heard of him? I mean, these were sources, people who flipped and worked for law enforcement. We have to develop. I know law enforcement knows this. I'm not I'm not trying to speak in any kind of a condescending fashion. I'm just trying to tell you that that's because people say all the time, well, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? That's what you do. Sources, it's the only way. You're not going to stop a vehicle attack. You can harden up your infrastructure. You can put the flower pots. You can put all this other stuff. But if you do that, they're just going to drive into your local supermarket next. You can't harden up everything. But you can harden up your development of sources inside these communities. It's important we understand that. All right. Uh, one more quick read here. Hey, have you uh, signed up for CRTV yet? We have the uh, best conservative content out there. Uh, folks, we are, we're doing some really amazing things over there. I appreciate all our subscribers. A lot of great feedback I've been getting on the content. For those of you who don't know what it is, CRTV, we have Mark Levin show. Have you seen it yet? We have Michelle Malkin show, which is amazing. It's like a conservative 60 minutes. She really gets to the bottom of issues. We have Steve Dace's show. We have Steve Crowder's show. And we have a lot of great material coming down the pipeline, too. I'm going to give you a promo code today. If you go to CRTV.com and you put in promo code Bongino, I'll get you $10 off, and it is a fraction of the cost of what you're paying for all the crap on cable today. You can watch it on your computer. You can watch it on your iPhone. You can watch it on your Samsung device, your Android. You can sling it to your TV. There's a ton of ways to do it. The library of shows, it's like a PhD course in conservatism. Go check it out at CRTV.com today. Put in promo code Bongino. I think you're really going to like what you see. Okay, uh, final story of the day, because it's another important one. There's a piece up uh, at the journal today again. By a, I'm going to say this wrong. I'm going to butcher this. So my apologies, but I'll put the piece <laughs> up at the show notes. Uh, Mene Yuke Barua. I'm sorry, Mene. I've, I'm really not trying to, but it's just very difficult to pronounce. Some people mess. I get Bongino all the time. So, uh, but it's a really good piece nonetheless. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, the author wouldn't mind that I promote. Yeah. It's about how American Christians are starting to move away from capitalism and i thought oh this is another one of those stories that you mm. read and you're like i've i've got to stem the tide of this right now and do everything in my power to expose the fallacy here let me just read the opening paragraph quick to show you how damaging this is it says american christians may have more in common with bernie sanders than you think 
Uh, what? I read huh? that. I, that caught me right away. Right. I read that. I'm like, I go, OK, going moving on. It says a slim majority of self-identifying Christians hold an unfavorable view of capitalism, according to a 2013 Public Religion Research Institute survey. Pope Francis, the world's most prominent Christian, consistently critiques free market economics. Today, millions of well-meaning Christians worry about capitalism's compatibility with Christian values. What's a committed Christian capitalist to do? Great question. Fair enough. Here's what we do. Folks, we explain what capitalism is. We've not done a great job of doing that and what capitalism is not. Folks, capitalism. One, I would make the case to you, as many economists would, that capitalism isn't an ism in that it's some kind of formal belief system. Capitalism is just a series of 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 economic liberty initiatives we take as human beings. It's not some kind of a religion or or some kind of a science. Here's what capitalism is, and I wrote this down. One, it's the ability to own property. Mm-hmm. So when when pe- when Christians say, "Well, capitalism," I have an unfavorable view of it. You need to question them and say, "Well, what part of it is there?" Are three tenets to it. Here's number one: own property. Well, what part of owning property do you have a problem with? Folks, the best way to respond to a statement is with a question because when someone says something ridiculous, because the question forces them to think. I said the other day, and I meant it, you can avoid an assertion and you can avoid a statement. People do it all the time. They ignore it. You can't avoid a question. It instinctively engages the mind of of your intellectual adversary. It's impossible to avoid a question. Ask them what part of owning property bothers you. That is what capitalism, if you want to call it even an ism, is. The ability to own, what part bothers you? In other words, if you are a Christian who owns a home, who owns a car, who owns a cell phone, why do you own that? That is what capitalism is. You understand that the antithesis, the opposite of capitalism, the inverse to capitalism is is socialism, the government ownership of the means of production and the subsequent production from it. That that's the only who who else do you want to own the property? Joe, newsflash, unsurprising to you or anyone else listening. Mm everybody's going to own the property out there. Capitalism just says you can own it too, not just the government. You understand that, right? That property is going to be created regardless. Food, medicine, services, housing, it is going to be created. The only question for Christians who somehow are disavowing capitalism is, what you? who do you want to own it? Oh, not me. I want the government to own it. So you're okay with ownership of property, just not you. Just to be clear, everybody can own property, just not you. Because believe me, under socialist regimes and even big government democratic socialism, which is crap nonsense, but big government regimes like you see in Scandinavia, property is owned. It's just owned by the government. It's happening in Venezuela right now as they confiscate the oil industry in the supermarkets. Mm Property is owned, just not by you. So the first question for the anti-capitalist Christian crowd is, why don't you believe in owning property? And if you don't, why do you own property yourself? Um, uh, yeah, I didn't really mean that, I guess. I'm, I'm okay with me owning property, just not you owning property. Oh, that makes sense. Thank you. That's very intellectually <laughs> honest, okay? All right, number two. What's the second component? So first component of capitalism, owning private, uh, private property. Second part, trading your labor for a wage. That is a component of capitalism. I mean, it's a, again, if it's an ism at all. The ability to work for a wage. What part of that do you disagree with? There are only two ways to allocate resources, including labor. Labor's a resource. 
You can price it, meaning if, Joe, very simply for the mm-hmm. liberals out there, I have a tough time with this. You can price your labor, right? When Joe works for for Conservative Review, sure. and we put together this show, Joe put a price in his labor that Conservative Review pays him to produce the audio quality of the podcast. Right. The other alternative is to ration the labor, meaning the government takes a specific number of people, regardless of their talents, and sticks them in a job and says, work. Well, what happens if I don't? Oh, we just shoot you in the head. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. I better get to work. Don't that was like the that. old joke in the Soviet Union. We used to pretend to work and they used to pretend to pay us. Because they were, it was forced labor. It's called servitude. What part of the capitalism component of trading your labor for a wage, what part of that do you not like is unfavorable to you? You want to be rationed into a job? So let me get this straight. Again, the, and I'm not, not I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm just saying I think people are horrendously misguided on this. And what they don't understand is fighting capitalism means fighting freedom and enforcing the government, government use of force. You understand you're sanctioning violence against people. That's what socialism is. The monopolistic use of government force to take from other people, their property, their labor, everything. What kind of system of trading labor do you want? Trading labor for what? The threat of not being shot in the head by a socialist regime? Hmm. Oh, that sounds legit. Those aren't Christian values. This is insane. Point number three, component number three of uh, capitalism, which kind of involves component number two as well. The pricing of resources rather than the rationing of resources. You may say, oh, well, pricing. Yeah, that's it. We get all kinds of vultures out there. Well, what's your alternative? You have resources, Joe. Mm -hmm. 100 units of food, 100 units of water, 100 units of medicine. And you have 300 people. You have two ways of doing that. You can put them out there for pricing so that people will bid up the price, which will do what, Joe? Incentivize producers of food, drink, and medicine to produce more. Right. Because those greedy capitalists can earn money by producing more of it. Or you can do this. You can divvy up the stuff and say, we're going to ration it to our favorite friends, which is what socialists do. What part of the pricing mechanism bothers you? What part of it? And what is your alternative? Rationing? Because if you can explain to me, to the Christians out there who support this, this unfavorable view of capitalism, can you please explain to me a third way to make sure resources are handed out to society? What's the third way? What's the third way? You can ration them or you can price them. I've had to bring this point up relentlessly and seeing this this morning in the Wall Street Journal, I was floored. I would have never guessed in a million years that a slim majority of Christians have an unfavorable view of capitalism. It's It says to me, and I'm sorry, but I'm not trying to offend anyone, it says to me that you are grotesquely ignorant of what capitalism is and you have no alternative because you don't understand what you're talking about. You can't propose an alternative. You don't even understand what the thing you're talking about is, Joseph. Mm-hmm. What alternative to pricing do you have? They don't price medicine in the United Kingdom. They have the National Health Service. They ration it. Oh, you doubt that? Do you not read? So 5% of doctors in the United Kingdom acknowledge knowing a patient who has died on a waiting list waiting for care. Think about that. This is only the ones who are actually acknowledging it, Joe. Mm -hmm. If you get 100 doctors in a room, five of them will tell you they know someone, statistically speaking, who has died on a waiting list for care because it's not priced. It's rationed. That's fair to you? You may say, well, pricing, oh, that that only allows the rich to get stuff. Really? That's kind of funny you say that because the biggest problem we have in the United States when it comes to food, Joe, 
is obesity. Go. Because food is 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 we are so productive from yep. the pricing mechanism that people who in the United States who are poor by United States standards are relatively wealthy by international standards. Mm-hmm. That's a statement of fact. Yeah. Do you know the poorest state in the union has the rough uh, the the the, uh, the average income of some of the wealthiest European uh, European countries? Folks, is it, this is the wealthiest country on earth because we the price mechanism provides an incentive for people to produce more stuff. All right, I just I saw that story today and I got really upset about it because there's really a gross misunderstanding of what capitalism is. We can't have these arguments about what a better alternative is if you don't even know what you're talking about now. It doesn't make any sense. Hey, a big thank you again to everybody who reviewed my show on iTunes. We jumped from 250 reviews to something like 305 reviews wow. in a couple days. It means a lot to me. Thank you very much. And thanks to everybody who signed up for my email list at Bongino.com. It means the world to me. Hey, one more quick thing, by the way, for, especially for the Facebook Live folks. Raheem Kassan is a really good book out. I'll put it up for the Facebook Live folks. He sent it to me the other day, No-Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. Um I strongly recommend you pick this book up. It's a serious eye-opener. Go check it out on Amazon. Raheem Kassam from Breitbart. His book, uh, No Go Zones, is a forward by Nigel Farage. Really worth looking at. All right, folks. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.